from their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to explain this crazy market. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. We meet Jim Kramer. We have one wild market today where everything that had been doing so great this year suddenly pulled back. While other stocks that have seemed to have run out of oxygen suddenly sprung back to life, giving you huge percentage gains. Now, that's bad news if you own the high-flying stocks that have defined this tape so far this year, many of which are trading down even further in after-hours. Companies like Microsoft, Alphabet, AMD, and they all came in red hot this week. But it's good news for a lot of the cheap offline companies with stocks that have done nothing since December, which is how the Dow could advance 134 points today. S&P dipped 0.06%, but the tech-laden Nasdaq tumbled 0.76%. Yep, we had a whole bunch of high flyers open up big this morning, only to give it back, and in many cases, more so. However, we had a host of incredibly inexpensive stocks. I'm talking about Wells Fargo, General Motors, J.P. Morgan, Nucor, the largest steel company in America, which is all mad money tonight. They took off as if their collective hair was on fire. Now, periodically, you get reversal days like today. Let me give a particular example because it's on top of my mind after last night's interview with Charles Liang. He's the CEO of Supermicro. Here's a tech company that put up spectacular numbers, much better than expected. Lights out. It was the bell cow for today, the one in the lead, the one that showed you artificial intelligence spending is real and it is tremendous. The trajectory of the stock, though, tells another more negative story. When the print, as we call the press release, came out last night, the stock jumped 10 points, then 12, then 15, next up 20, all, all after hours, mind. When I got home, Supermicro was trading up 30. I got up early to watch the stock rally some more and didn't let up until it was up $60 this morning. Sure, that's exciting. And the pin action it generated? Holy cow. For every stock with an AI connection, it was breathtaking. Stocks like the pins were flying all over the place. It was an earth-shattering strike. There was a problem, though. After we got the strike, there was no follow-through. The great roll was followed by, well, nothing. And when you know it, Supermicro finished the evening almost, yes, that was a joke, finished the, oh, just a sec, I've got one of those too. Almost where it was when it reported that monster of a number. In the meantime, we began to see a parallel levitation in another area of the market. Levitation in the banks, in the steels, in the autos. 
No, this time it wasn't a bowling match. What we got was good old-fashioned volleyball, a rotation out of stocks with lofty price earnings multiples and into the cyclical stocks that traded 6, 7, 10, maybe 12 times earnings. Take GM. Here's a stock that's not just historically cheap, but four times forward earnings cheap. I mean, the average stock is selling on 20 times earnings. That's what this one's at four times earnings. As CEO Mary Barr laid out a $9 earnings per share forecast for the year this morning, I'm sorry, but anytime I can buy shares in a very solvent company at four times earnings, I'm going to do it. And to raise the money to pay for the four times earnings GM shares, I will sell shares in a company that sells at 40 times earnings. And that is what I think happened today. I say that because there's not a lot of money coming in giving you how you can earn 5% on your cash pretty much risk-free. That money cannot be enticed into what looks like a charnel house for tech. How about the banks, though? Today, Morgan Stanley told you that because some new regulations will be less restrictive than expected, the bank stocks are going to make a lot more money than you think. That means a stock like Wells Fargo is only selling for just 10 times earnings, 2.7% yield, mind you. Again, far be it from me as a former trader to be in a software stock that trades at 60 times, 70 times, 80 times earnings, or has no earnings at all, as many of them do. When I can be in a stock that trades at only 10 times earnings, it's going to be a real nice dividend. Newcore, steel company, which we're fortunate enough to have on the show tonight. This steelmaker, largest in our country, largest in the world, frankly, but of the ones that are not subsidized, is at the forefront of everything infrastructure, was selling for roughly 13 times earnings last night when it blew away the estimates, levitated to much higher levels, adding 12 bucks or 7%. Now, we've seen this before, so we have to ask ourselves, what games are really being played in this market? Is it really a game of bowling, where the pin action was tremendous, but there was no second frame? Is it really a game of volleyball? as traders rotated out of the front row and headed into the back row of earnings. The cheaper positions, no more spiking. Maybe it was a game of front seat, back seat. An isolated event, nothing too serious, almost whimsical. Some sort of end-of-the-month game where we looked at the performance disparity this year, then opted to take profits in what was flying too close to the sun, our Icarus money, and putting it back to work in terra firma with Nucor GM and the banks. No matter what game we were playing, it caused some damage that we need to talk about. Let me put my technician hat on for a second. You know, we do off the charts for the charters. We always ask them what they're thinking. It's important, not because I want you to be a technician, but because part of being a good investor is curious about anything that can move a stock, earnings, sector, interest rates, Fed policy, gyrations. Yes, actual gyrations that can impact the thinking of a whole cohort of traders. And the chart says we're looking at some dreaded island reversals in the world of tech. Whatever game impacted stocks, bowling, volleyball, front seat, back seat, left in, way, in its wake, some very broken island reversal charts. They're damaged because whenever you have a stock that jumps up at the beginning of the day and then plummets to chart watchers, you are having a Humpty Dumpty situation where all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put that stock on the right trajectory again because islands reversed. Now, normally I wouldn't be too worried. I know I'm analogizing all over the place, but the major accord in this market has been to own the stocks of companies with amazing earnings, regardless of what you pay for this, right? We don't care. Growth stocks reward you longer term. Nothing else does. I mean, GM wouldn't sell four times earnings if anyone thought it was a growth stock. But to have the minor court surface in front of a Fed meeting in the thick of earnings season with results that only reward the downtrodden? Yes, indeed. That, for many, is worrisome. You now have plenty of people worried that we're in for bruising no matter what numbers the richly valued stocks report, a view that the after-hours action supports that's why we need to focus on tonight's earnings, even though we don't yet have the full recollection of them or reflection on them. I'm talking about Microsoft, AMD, and Alphabet. Here's what we know so far. Microsoft posted a nice top and bottom line, beat tremendous 30% revenue growth from its cloud business, and six of those percentage points came from AI. But the stock came in real hot, maybe too hot. 
AMD hit you with a discouraging forecast. Real weakness in the programmable chip business. That's one they picked up from Xilinx. Stocks crumbling after hours. Alphabet posted what looked like a good quarter, except their advertising revenue disappointed some. Even as I thought the cloud business had a nice snapback, par for tonight's course, it too is selling off. So are these all island reversals that are just too difficult to overcome where the stocks opened up big and then plummeted? Or is tech just taking a breather until some of that juicy money from the sidelines takes advantage of the first price break of 2024? And it is the first price break. Bottom line, like I said in Friday's game plan, there's just too much noise here. Let's just wait and see. Let's sit on our hands and process all the information coming at us before we take any action. I am telling you, it will be well worth the wait. Let's take calls. Let's go to Tom in Florida. Tom. Uh, hey, Jim. Um, thanks for everything you do for us. Thank um, you, Tom. a longtime uh, watcher. Um, my question is, um, is now an okay time to get into REITs or residential REITs now that interest rates might be softening soon? Well, what I've noticed, Tom, is that there is now grave disparity among the REITs. Uh, and the residential REITs, I mean, the one that I always think about, Avalon Bay, Ah, just okay. I, I, I'm not going to rave about any of these. And I'll tell you why I'm not going to rave about any of them. They've had big moves. I mean, they've had these huge moves and, and off the bottom. Now, you can still say, well, Gavon Bay gives you a 3.7% yield. That's not enough for me. That doesn't entice me. So I'm going to have to say no right now. Of the, of the REITs, I do like federal, FRT. I do like Simon Properties. And I do like Realty Income, letter O at 5.5 with a monthly dividend. Sam in Colorado, Sam. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Sam. How about you? I'm doing all right. You know, Jim, one of the stocks that I think is one of the most important companies in, in today's world is Taiwan Semi. And looking at NVIDIA and AMD, we're talking about a combined market cap here of over nearly $2 trillion. So TSM, with their $534 billion market cap, this is the company that all of the chip other companies depend on. Don't you think TSM should be valued more? Is it the yeah, I do. I, it's got this great political risk. That's the problem. I mean, you've got a presidential candidate who many people feel like would not necessarily uh, jump to defend uh, uh, what could happen to Taiwan. Other people think he would. Uh, you've got a president who has antagonized the Chinese into thinking that maybe they should take action in Taiwan. I mean, all of it's a mess. Here's what I think is really happening. Nobody knows. And that's why Taiwan Semi is a hard stock to own. Let's go to Mike in Connecticut. Mike. Jim, thanks for taking my call. My hey, pleasure. I, I want to take this opportunity first to thank you and staff again for all your wisdom with the books and the TV show. Uh, thank you. Which just made me so many uh, great successes. Oh, you're, um, you're great. You know, and look, I don't know these callers, okay? I mean, like some of them the other day was saying, hey, Jim, you put these guys up. Are you, like, kidding me? I haven't put anybody up to saying good things or bad, bad, bad things about me since fifth grade. That was the last time because I hit, hit a principal with a snowball and get some people who testified in my favor. I needed that. What's up? Jim, this stock I find so much conflicting information about. I can't figure out if they're trying to underestimate so they can overdeliver or it's something I should stay away from. It's C-A-V-A. You know, I happen to think that Kava is going to be one of the great growth stories of the era. And I think that because they offer food that's good and good for you. Now, they definitely have to get their act together when it comes to the letters that you see in front. Letters, the grades of the sanitation, the health and sanitation do tell you something, having been in the restaurant business. But I think that Kava is here to stay. And I th- while it is expensive, you know what? Chipotle was never cheap either. 
Anyway, the games that stocks are playing are difficult to parse right now. We just can't be sure. And it's hard to tell if some of these moves will be permanent or they're just temporary. You know what? What does that say you should do? How about sitting on our hands and process all the information coming at us before we take any action? Mad Money tonight, Cisco, that's YSYY, comes soar today after earnings, giving investors a decent read on the state of the consumer. I'm breaking down all you need to know with the company's top brands. It's restaurants, stupid. Then I have a tale of two credit card companies, Capital One versus Marcus Express. Is it possible for both of them to remain winners in the same industry? I'm going to give you my take. And was Newport practicing a classic case of under-promising and then over-delivering when it reported? I don't know. Maybe it's just blowing out the darn numbers. I'm learning about how disappointing guidance led to a strong quarter that sent the steel market but still make her much higher today. I mean, like, much higher. You do not want to miss my exclusive with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. It's Cisco Run. That's the SYY for you, home gamers. I've been recommending this one for a while. It's a play on the post-pandemic boom in restaurant business, but the stock never really seemed to get its footing until today. This morning, Cisco reported a solid quarter with management reiterating their full-year forecast. They also raised their buyback target from $750 million to $1.25 billion. Meaningful. Most importantly, Cisco told an excellent story about strong food service and markets, especially that red-hot restaurant sector, that can drive revenue growth, along with company-specific initiatives that will boost margins all of which translates into 
much higher earnings. And Wall Street sure did like it. Stock jumped 7.5% today, one of the five best in the S&P. Can it keep running? Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Kevin Hurricane. He's the president and CEO of Cisco Corporation. You will like this. Take a look. Mr. Hurricane, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thank you for having us. It's great to be back on your show today. Oh, I'm so glad you are because, of course, your stock's one of the biggest uh, winners today in the S&P 500. And I think a lot of it is because your execution. Some of it is just because you have tremendous acceleration in revenue growth. How is that possible? Now, food away from home as an industry, Jim, had a really good quarter, but specific to Cisco, our sales were up 4%. Operating income up 9%. Our earnings per share were up 11%. Just to be clear, that's our 11th consecutive quarter of double-digit earnings per share growth. And just quick touch on the balance sheet, free cash flow up 100%. Today, we announced an increase into our stock buyback commitment, increasing it to $1.25 billion. That's up from the previously communicated $750 million. And Jim, I know you track dividends. That's on top of a billion dollars we pay per year in dividends. So put it all together, that's $2.25 billion contributed directly back to our shareholders. And Cisco is winning in the marketplace. And Glad to be here today. You're absolutely right. That is very significant for a $40 billion company, but you have always been conditioned to return capital to your shareholders. I'm looking at your deck. There's a chart. I hope people who own the stock or thinking about it will get a look at this. The food away from home continues to gain share. It's rather monumental, this change in the way people lead their lives, a change that clearly benefits your company. Yeah, I love the chart. Hopefully you can do the infographic and show it to your Uh, The folks watching your show, for 20-plus years, food away from home has been up to the right from a market share perspective, and that's directly taking share from the grocery store channel. You kind of unpack the why. Consumers are time-starved. We enjoy eating out, whether that's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. There was only one year, Jim, where that trend didn't hold, and that was the beginning of COVID when there was clearly a dislocation in this industry. But it's a growing space, and it's a really big space. Let's be clear about that. A $350 billion total addressable market, and that's a pie that keeps growing. One other really important point to note for your investors, the big three in this industry, Jim, represent only 40% of the total share. There's huge opportunity for the largest players in this space to win share profitably, because this is a business where scale and size matter. Also services, I know from my business in the, my restaurant business, uh, your brand, uh, the quality of your brand precedes you, you, though you've been an amazing steward of it. And one of the things that I think that's incredible is it, res- it resonating overseas in a level that I didn't think was possible. We're meaningfully focused on improving the service we provide our customers, Jim. And let's start with the most basic. That means be on time, ship right. in full with what that restaurant needs. Fill rates inbound to us from our suppliers have meaningfully improved over the last 18 months as suppliers have snap back from COVID. Our assortment has expanded and our ability to serve the full needs of restaurants has improved and our time on-time delivery has improved. But specific to the service element of what you mentioned there, you're remembering prior conversations we had about something we call Cisco Your Way. And we have a loyalty program called Cisco Perks. We've proven that when we deploy those customer-centric strategies, we drive double-digit increases in growth with those customers. We've now taken that program internationally, Canada first, then over to Europe. We have more than 500 neighborhoods live on Cisco Your Way, and we have more than 14,000 customers enrolled in that loyalty program. Now, we should also point out there have been, uh, for the first time, we've got some big layoffs announced. Uh, meaningful layoffs today, but obviously there's been a consistent, uh, uh, let's say, drumbeat of people being laid off. That is not the case with Cisco, is it? 
This is a growing industry. We're a growing company and we're taking market share within that growing space. So now we're net hiring at Cisco, especially within our supply chain organization. As we continue to profitably win share, we hire up to meet those needs. And we actually announced on our Q1 earnings call about 90 days ago, increases to our sales headcount. So we have about 7,500 commission-based sales associates around the world, and we're making a meaningful investment in that sales headcount. And the why is, Jim, you know this industry extremely well. This is a relationships business. Our sales force, our ex-chefs, they're culinary professionals, they're former restaurant owners, and we expect them to be in that customer's kitchen every week having quality conversations about how we can help that young, excuse me, um, business be successful, that independent mom and pop business be successful. I think it's really important. A lot of people, uh, when I got into business, all I knew was that you had to go with these expensive boutique guys, that Cisco was serving um, the cafeterias and the big national chains. You have totally shifted your business, as you told me you would when you came in, to being what the customer wants is what the customer gets. And you're not willing to lose a good customer just because they say, listen, we want to be this extreme boutique. You deliver for them, too. Exactly, Jim. We, we believe we can serve the entire food away from home sector, from the largest national chain restaurant to the hospital, to the cafeteria, to the office building and everything in between. But the bread and butter of who we are is serving mom and pop restaurants, more than 100,000 plus of them across the globe. We've always been known for what we call broadline goods, frozen goods, dry goods on the truck. What we are getting better and better at doing is serving those bespoke needs and specialty produce and custom cut in the specialty meat space. You may not know, we run the largest fresh produce business in the world for food service delivery. It's called Fresh Point, and we're growing that business significantly. So our goal, our desire is to win with specialty, or as we call, sell around the room. Start with what we're famous for, which is broadline products, and then sell the additional assortment of fresh produce, custom cut protein, and where we're increasing our focus is in ethnic cuisines like Italian and soon to be Asian. I wish that people could be there when we first met each other, what you said you were going to lay out. And, how, and frankly, how circumspect I was, because it was not the Cisco that I knew. But you've delivered on many more things than I thought, and including, just so we know, U.S. food service. The, the acceleration here is just rather extraordinary over the last two years. I want to congratulate you. This is not a time when people felt that it was going to be good for the restaurant business, but you were ready. And it's clearly fantastic. And you're the guy who's taking all the share. Well, I'm proud of the team that we have here at Cisco. We have a very capable leadership team and we have a clear strategy. And when you have a clear strategy that you can execute with excellence, Jim, you can do really good things as a company and it's a good day to be at Cisco. Well, look, I want to really do want to congratulate you heartily, congratulate you because it, this is, uh, the stock's up this big for a reason, which is you are executing at a level that is so much higher than anyone expected. And, that, and that's a, a lot to your leadership, but also to the customers that you decided to service better than they've ever been. I want to thank Kevin Hurricanes, the president and CEO of Cisco, SYY. Wow, fantastic job. Thank you for coming on. Jim, thank you for having us today. Absolutely. Boy, this is a remarkable, remarkable moment in Cisco. And it is not done up this much. This one's going much higher. That money's back in right Coming up, head-to-head, Kramer compares two financial giants, American Express, Capital One, and the power of your portfolio, next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Late last week we heard from a pair of very different credit card companies. The low end Capital One Financial and the high end American Express. Both stocks have been pretty much flat year to date, but they both roared in response to great earnings numbers. Can't say I was surprised though. I've been recommending American Express for ages, especially in the post pandemic year. And I always tell lightning round callers Capital One's a very well run company under the leadership of founder and CEO Richard Fairbank. You might think there's nothing particularly special about two credit card companies reporting terrific numbers. But you need to understand, American Express and Capital One are playing two very different games. You know, it's almost as if they are two different industries. As American Express CEO Steve Squirry put it on the conference call, his company has, and I quote, a singular focus on premium customers, end quote. Meanwhile, Capital One has a singular focus on subprime customers. They simply know how to take acceptable levels of risk and charge enough interest to make up for any defaults. It's a brilliant model. Let me walk you through both quarters so you get what I'm talking about. And this may help you try to get your arms around the financials, which suddenly have caught a bit, as we like to say on Wall Street. American Express technically reported a top and bottom line miss, even though their numbers were up huge year over year. They fell short of Wall Street's expectations. Doing that, there were a couple of squarely lines. You know, bill business came in a little light, while their write-offs and reserve bill came in higher than expected. Uh, you know what? That last one can make investors nervous because it means more deadbeat borrowers aren't paying the bills. But believe me, those were just all sideshows. All of American Express credit quality numbers remain well below pre-pandemic levels. Still, how the stock rallied 7.1% in response to weaker-than-anticipated results is simple. American Express gave you an amazing forecast. Remember, what matters is the future on Wall Street. Matthew was talking about 9 to 11% revenue growth this year when the analysts were looking for 9. And they think they can do 13 to 17% earnings growth. The analysts thought they'd just do 10 None of this would come a surprise if you listen to management's long-term targets, because this guidance was perfectly in line with what they call their long-term aspiration target. But apparently Wall Street didn't believe those targets were hittable. Beyond the guidance, the biggest positive here was the conference call commentary explaining why American Express can meet its higher-than-expected forecast. CEO Squarey got into this right at the start, saying that Amex made a conscious decision to accelerate its growth a couple of years ago and then try to sustain its growth at high levels going forward. The plan involved investments in technology and marketing, but also something more simple, listening to customers and understanding their needs. In a separate call with us on Friday morning, Square went into even more detail because they listen to people. Amex could create a unique and compelling rewards program with much more than cash back, which younger consumers seem to find very unsatisfying. See, young consumers, they want to convert their points into flights, hotel stays, tangible goods. They want access to members-only lounges at airports and exclusive restaurant bookings at Via Resi, which is, of course, owned by Amex. And the Amex-only zones at the U.S. Open, other sporting events. Hey, I want these things, too. 
Anyway, the plan has worked, especially for premium customers and younger customers. For example, millennial and Gen Z customers, they make up 60% of their new accounts last year. That tells you something. Many of these younger customers are choosing Amex's higher-end cards. They love the gold card and the platinum card, even if they have to pay for it. Put it all together, and Amex's cardholder card demographics fuel above-market growth, as younger people like to go out and do things and spend a ton of money. And that's why they had 11% build business growth at restaurants. That was just eye-popping for me, which Scurry told us was fueled by, yes, younger people. Overall, I think American Express made a great case for its long-term strategy, and I bet the stock is more than to run. It has not come down a bit. When it first reported, the stock did very little. I said, oh, my, people understand this thing is humming. How about Capital One? Very different business plan, in part because they're also a bank. Like American Express, Capital One missed the headline numbers. Unlike American Express, the revenues were basically flat, and their earnings were down 20% year-over-year. Although that earnings miss was purely because the banks all got hit with a special FDIC assessment last quarter after that many financial crisis last spring. But Capital One's purchase volume also fell a bit short of expectations, scoring just 4%. So then why the heck did the stock rally 4.65% on Friday? Well, unlike Amex, it certainly wasn't the guidance because Capital One doesn't issue formal guidance. Instead, the upside surprise here was all about their credit quality metrics, which came in BTF, or better than fear. See, Capital One likes to offer credit cards to consumers across the quality spectrum, including those with worse credit. That's known as subprime borrowers. This is much riskier than American Express, which is focused on rich people. Just look at Capital One's allowance coverage ratio. That's the allowance for loan losses versus total loans. Currently sits at 7.58% for the credit card business. Now, that's very high. The same metric in American Express comes in at just 2.8%. By while Capital One is the riskier strategy, it surprised Wall Street with better than fear credit metrics for the quarter. If you look closely, you can see that their allowance coverage ratio actually fell slightly from the third quarter to the fourth quarter by 13 basis points. Why is this important? Capital One's loan reserve bill of $326 million was well below the $495 billion the analysts were looking for. And people trust Fairbank. They know they wouldn't just put up any number. These are just these are qualified, stringent numbers. And beyond the improving metrics, Capital One's management had some really positive commentary about credit trends. With CEO Richard Fairbank telling us, quote, investors have been asking for quite some time, when will charge offs level off? So this is the point where we see that happening, meaning charge offs should move more or less with seasonality in the coming months, end quote. That's huge. Remember, this man's credibility is supreme. So that's why the stock exploded higher. Capital One runs a higher risk strategy by extending credit to lower quality borrowers. And after several quarters where their credit metrics were steadily deteriorating, even exceeding pre-pandemic levels, the problem is finally starting to moderate. That is fantastic news. A lot of investors were worried about this, but now they can feel confident coming in off the sidelines. Now, look, if I had to choose, I would pick America's Best over Capital One almost every time. Because American Express has a better growth profile with a more durable business model. And again, frankly, I'm just more comfortable with it. That's why Amex sells for 16 times earnings, though, and Capital One sells for just 10 times earnings. So you might want the value play. I'm fine with that premium. Nothing wrong with paying up for best of breed. But here's the bottom line. Even when you're looking at the same industry, there's always multiple ways to win. Like American Express and Capital One, but they're vastly different strategies, but fabulous CEOs who know how to run their businesses and execute at incredibly high levels. Levels that can work for any investor. I want to talk to Robert in New York. Robert. Jim, I got to tell you, I did very well with you on my holdings this year, as I, I have done very well because of you. But anyway, if everyone listens to you, they'll do very well. Oh, thank I you, buddy. Wanna, I just want to say, you have to listen to the experts like yourself. If I was getting my Ferrari service, 
I wouldn't go to the Ford dealer. And the same thing goes with the stocks. I go to the expert Jim Cramer to guide me in the right ah, direction, period. Geez, Robert, that's very, very kind of you. I mean, now, look, remember, I am a, a generalist. I have to cover a lot of different companies. There are people who excel at individual industries. But to hear you say that makes me feel pretty darn good. How can I help you today? Well, here, here's the thing. The stock that most analysts, this is the stock I'm asking about, are predicting a decrease of 51% from $44 a share. It's around there. The earnings are out on February 8th for the fiscal quarter ending December 2023. Uh, it's very highly shorted. You saved me money, and you made me a ton of money on this stock at one point because you told me to get in. I got in. I almost doubled my money on a firm, so I need you to guide me on this now. I, don't I think you're now. fine. I think you're fine. I think the same thing that made me like it well below is the same thing that I like it now, which is Max Lepson's integrity. And, and I think he's terrific. Now, the one thing you need to know is the short position is not as big anymore because they went and covered. So if it does come in a little, do not be uh, concerned. I think you will still do well. And it's one of the few from this era that I really trust because I trust Lefchin. All right. Even when you're lo- Thank you, Robert, for those incredibly kind words. Even when you're looking at the same industry, there's always multiple ways to win. That's what I try to teach you. America's pressing capital one of vastly different strategies. I think both are winners. Watch where we have money at, including my Susan with Nucor. I said at the top that today could be the beginning of something special when it comes to the steel industry. I'm surveying one of my favorite names in the space with the CEO. Then, as if this week wasn't hard enough with all the earnings, I'm sharing everything you should expect to hear from the Fed in tomorrow's FOMC meeting and from the Treasury. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. This economy is weak enough for the Fed to cut rates? Just take one look at Nucor, the best of breed steelmaker. They had a new 52 week high today, up 7% among the top five gainers of the SP. After a pretty magnificent quarter last night, these guys delivered a monster earnings beat, even versus the guidance they gave just last month. And this morning, management made some very positive comments about the long term trends that are starting to materialize. So, can the stock keep climbing? Let's check in with Leon Tapali, and he's the chairman, president, and CEO of Nucor. Find out more about the quarter. Leon, welcome back to Man Money. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you having me today. Well, how could I not? I mean, this was an amazing quarter. And the first thing I want to do before we drill down into the cadence or how much money you made, you're talking about mega trends, which make me feel like don't look at the quarter. Don't look at the year even. Think about multiple years for Nucor to do well. Oh, absolutely. And Jim, not, not, not all of those mega trends suit all of the competition. Nucor is the most, the largest steel producer in North America. And as we look at, you know, the volumes in the United States, Nucor makes one out of every four tons produced in the U.S. So as we think about IIJA, we think about the CHIPS Act, we think about infrastructure. Nucor is the most diverse steelmaker in the United States, poised and ready to capitalize on that. We're just on the early stages of that on all three, and we're starting to see those flow through our orders into plants. We think about CHIPS Act. You know, there's 56 semiconductor plants on the books, 18 already under construction for a total value of about $370 billion that'll be invested. Nucor is going to be a, in participate in all of that. So we're just warming up. And I would tell you at seven and a half times EBITDA, we're one of the most undervalued stocks in Wall Street and an incredible opportunity for our investors. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because you did say at the conference call that you took a hard look at U.S. Steel, obviously being bought by Nippon Steel. But basically, I, if I can parse your words a bit, 
your stock is much cheaper, so why don't you just keep buying your own stock? And that's exactly what we're going to do, Jim. Our strategy since I took over is to grow the core and expand beyond. So grow our core steelmaking assets and expand into those adjacent steel-centric businesses that operate just outside of the cyclicality of steel. And so you're going to see Nucor buy a lot of our stock back. And, um, and at the end of the day, we're not going to overpay for any assets. So as we looked at it, um, we looked and saw some assets might fit strategically and, and culturally. But at the end of the day, again, we have a lot of uses for that capital, and not the least of which is giving it back. Over the last four years, we've given back $10 billion to our shareholders. And so we're going to continue to reward them uh, for sticking with us, and we're going to continue to grow this company. All right. So people understand that's 23 percent of the of the shares have been bought back since 2018. Now, one of the things that has me very, very excited is, is that the other part of the money you're using is to build giant and I should say sustainable mills that are going to produce all sorts of new steel that will meet the demands of uh, particularly of, uh, of non-residential construction. Absolutely. Jim, we just kicked off and the Brandenburg team in uh, Kentucky is operating now in the largest, most capable plate mill in the United States. Um, we're broken ground now in West Virginia on one of the most state-of-the-art, what will be one of the most sustainable sheet mills anywhere in the nation. We're building our micro mill in Lexington, North Carolina. We're expanding in Kingman, Arizona. We're building galvanizing capacity. So we're going to continue to create and make opportunities and provide capabilities for our customers so they can continue to grow their companies and, again, ultimately rewarding new core shareholders. In the last three years, we have made more money in the last three years than we have in the last 20 combined. So Nucor is firing on all cylinders, and quite frankly, we're just getting warmed up. Now, I think a lot of people might say, wait a second, the Fed tightened faster than it ever has, rates are above five. But you made a point both in our interview and, in, of course, in the conference call and the deck that you're, you're building and buying a lot of kind of steel that really isn't all that sensitive to what the Fed does. Yeah, and, and look, we're, we're, again, the diversity of Nucor is we're consuming a lot of that downstream. And so we're touching every sector of the market. So while one sector may be a little off and we're seeing some pullback in some, right, we're seeing a slowing in the adoption rate in EVs. We have others that are firing on all cylinders. We think about the, you know, the three mega trends. We think about power transmission, grid hardening, rebuilding the entire infrastructure of the United States. Nucor is poised and ready to capitalize on all of that. And we're going to continue to do that. Well, I mean, that's a good point. For instance, you said that uh, tractors, earth movers, not doing well. And, and yet you would think if they're not doing well, you wouldn't be doing well. But the fact is, is that you have many different applications and you are not just going to be like a, an old steel mill, frankly, just putting up buildings. And if they're not buying, if not buying buildings, you got nothing to do. No, we're, we're touching every sector of the economy from automotive to ag to energy to all the megatrends. We're, we're moving our company and positioning us for higher highs. In 2022, we shared with our, uh, the investment community that we expected a through cycle EBITDA, EBITDA of about 6.7 billion. Last year, which was the third best year of Nucor, we did 7.4. So again, over the last four years to return over 30 or make over $30 billion in EBITDA, again, Nucor's strategy is paying incredible dividends for your viewers, our shareholders, customers, and our team members. Uh, one last thing about our viewers, we have a lot of young viewers. They're probably saying, no, wait a second. Uh, steel, dirty business. Could you remind them who the largest recycler in the Western Hemisphere is? 
It is Nucor, and we are one of the fifth largest in the world in terms of recycling. We are one of the cleanest steel makers on the planet, and so, you know, we don't have to pivot. We're already there, but we're not stopping. As the largest producer in the United States, we're going to continue to invest in those technologies that help to deliver a net zero product. And we're doing that for many of our customers today. We're going to continue to push that and, uh, and continue our leadership position in this industry. Well, you've been a great leader and steward of Nucor, known for a long time. And it's just a remarkable thing you've put together here. So many good things. Leon Topalian is Nucor chair, president and CEO. Hey, Leon, it's great to see you. Really fabulous quarter. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Great to see you as well. Absolutely. Have a great night. Okay, you too. May everybody's back after the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy cover the lightning round. Kramer's going to start with EJ in New York. EJ. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How about you, EJ? I'm good. So I'm curious your thoughts on surgery partners, ticker SGRY. Okay, that industry is in up and down and up and down right now, whether it be Humana, whether it be HCA, whether it be Docs in the Box, whether it be Walgreens, whether it be CBS. It is too hard for this guy. I'm taking a hard pass. Don't buy. Don't buy. Now we're going to Joey in Pennsylvania. Joey. Hi, James. It's Joey from Pennsylvania. Um, at this price, it's paying an 8.5% dividend and near a 52-week high. I was wondering your thoughts on ET energy transfer. It is still not too late to buy ET energy transfer. Let me throw in one oak because I'm in a charitable mood. Let's go to Barbara in New Jersey. Barbara. Hi, Jim. Greetings from the Jersey Shore. Oh, fantastic. My uh, question is on the stock Digital Ocean down quite a bit from a few years ago. I was just wondering what the scoop is on them. Wait, why is that down so much? Maybe the multiple's too high? I, I, got, I tell you the truth. I, I, I know you're down in the Jersey Shore with my daughter there. That's where she lives. Um, I'm going to have to do some work on that one and come back to you. I just don't know why that stock's acting as poorly as it does, given the fact that the business is good. Let's go to John in South Carolina. John. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Uh, with a 10.5% yield and down near a 52-week low, uh, what are your thoughts on Vodafone? You know, I haven't liked Vodafone in 20 years, and it's really rewarded my, my uh, dislike. I, I actually am going to say something that monumental right here, right now. I am willing to recommend the stock of Verizon. I said it. Verizon, that's right, BC. Yeah, you can write that. Go ahead. Go write it down. I don't care. Go write it down. Go call your mother. Okay, let's go to Joe in North Carolina. Joe. <laughs> Hey, Jim. Hey, uh, first and foremost, my friend, I want to thank you and the entire Mad Money staff for all your support to the military over the years. Oh, you bet. It's a pleasure of being on your uh, uh, show back in 2018 for Veterans Day. Again, it was an honor and privilege of uh, being with you on that day. Oh, uh, thank patriot. you. Thank you. I mean, my dad, uh, somehow I know he heard that. Thank you. Hey, Jim, I, I just want to ask you about uh, a... Uh, Biotherapy stock, uh, CRISPR Therapeutics. Uh, they're out of Switzerland. Uh, most recently, they had a therapeutic approved for uh, sickle cell. It was first approved in the UK, then uh, then the US. 
And yeah, you know, Joe, I got to tell you, I like those guys, but I have no illusions. They're losing a lot of money, and we don't like to recommend stocks that are losing a lot of money on mad money. We always say this, which is that as long as you recognize it's speculative, you can go for it. But I do not recommend that stock on a fundamental basis. I need to go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, I enjoyed, Carl, and your discussion with the Gronk on yesterday's Squawk on the Street. Yeah, he shrunk. I don't know. Oh, I got big. I couldn't tell. <laughs> Jim, let's talk rare earths. No, okay. I'm not talking about the American rock band from the 60s and 70s. I'm talking about a Lee Cooper, Leon Cooperman stock pick, MP Materials Corp. Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, that stock just never lifts. It's not expensive anymore. The alternative energy EV thing, it's not happening, but I'm not against it because it is Lee's story and it's not losing money. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, can the Fed be a ray of sanity among all those crazy clouds? What tomorrow's rate decision means for your money, next. Sometimes it really feels like the calendar's out together. Not only do most of the super high-profile companies report this week, tomorrow we get the results of the latest Fed meeting. And while it shouldn't be all that significant, the recent spate of economic data makes it more pivotal than we expected. Hey, look, tomorrow we get the Treasury auction scheduled for the next three months, too. And for that news, we turn to Josh Frost, the Treasury Assistant Secretary for Financial Markets, who can, at times, rival Fed Chief Powell for importance, because we need to borrow so much to finance the darn deficit. Frost's job is to announce a regular and predictable schedule of finances. But what the heck does that mean when you have $34 trillion in government debt? I can tell you that Frost, who speaks to dozens of bankers for input, would do the most good for the bottom stock market if he offers only one to seven in your paper. Any longer than that, it could send everything off kilter from the rate you pay on your credit card to the mortgage rate someone might want in the future. Remember last fall when long-term interest rates were skyrocketing, Frost announced a new Treasury auction schedule with more shorter-term paper, and that caused rates to peak on the spot. And also, of course, then the stock market bottomed. It was a Twitter force move that exposed how important Frost is to our national finances. If the government were spending within its limits, Frost would be a simple bureaucrat. But we haven't done that for decades. It's only gotten worse over time. Frost now has to juggle between selling debt at lousy prices for the Treasury versus selling debt at lousy prices for investors. It's a black box. It'll be open tomorrow. Now, tomorrow's Federal Open Market Committee meeting was supposed to be kind of pale in comparison to the March meeting, where many were expecting a rate cut. But there's a huge problem developing here, and we all know it. We're now, now seeing the economy really humming. The steels and the autos and the rails and the airlines and the home builders all within the last 48 hours keep putting up tremendous numbers. If you didn't know better, you might expect the Fed to hit us with one more rate hike, not a cut. There have been no bank receipts to speak of. They've been scattered one-off layoffs, PayPal, IBM, Macy's, Rite Aid, thanks to some drugstore closings. In fact, only the 12,000 people being laid off at UPS, which was announced this morning, even jumps out at you. So does that put the Fed on the hot seat? Inflation is now very much under control, at a level where the Fed could cut without embarrassing itself or risking its credibility. But with the strength of the economy, I think a March rate cut is off the table. And we're looking at June for the first of what looks like three cuts this year. Although I've got to tell you, if this stuff keeps up, I wouldn't even, I I don't know if you want June to have have a cut. See, to me, the Fed would be better served just to stand pat. Let things play out. What's the rush? It's not like we're seeing mass layoffs. We get the employment report on Friday. What a week. And if it shows the unemployment rate remains below 4% or wages are going up, it'll be obvious to all that there's no need for the Fed to cut anytime soon. 
And that is the real takeaway here. I hope the Fed simply reiterates what it has said before, that they're data dependent. If the economy gets too soft, they'll think about cutting rates. Just leave it at that. Predictable and regular. In a world where almost nothing is predictable and regular, especially in the political sphere, let's hope that Josh Frost and Jay Powell recognize those two qualities are what they can and need to keep delivering. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 